0: Welcome to 20-Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35. We have Ivan Lee in the studio, the CEO of datasore.ai, Ivan serves as the founder and CEO of Datasore AI. Datasore builds data labeling software for ML teams working on NLP. After graduating from Stanford with a computer science degree, Ivan has spent his career working in the machine learning, search, and gaming industries. He is driven by building cohesive teams and crafting technological breakthroughs into meaningful user experiences. Ivan Lee, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders.
1: Thank Uh, you. Thanks uh, for having me on. How are you doing? Where are you calling from? I am reaching you from Sunnyvale, California today. Sunnyvale, California. Okay, so
0: not too far. I'm in Southern California. And are you keeping healthy? Everything. Everybody's okay?
1: Yeah, things are going all right. Finding my own new daily routines. Um, yeah, adjusting to the new norm.
0: I'm sure. And I'm sure that having an early stage startup with this new norm is is quite challenging, even though you're a software platform. Uh, I'm sure it still has its challenges. So I'd love for you to give a, a little bit of a background about yourself, just as a quick spoiler. You know product management at yahoo and apple uh, you sold the company to uh, yahoo before and now you're a ceo of Datastore. so uh, ivan where do you come from what, what excites you
1: sure um so i'll give my my quick background in a nutshell here um i grew up outside of seattle i came down here for school um studied computer science at stanford for undergrad Um, And I was starting my master's there as well. Uh, But as is Stanford tradition, I dropped out um, and started a video game company with some friends. I've been a lifelong gamer, and so it was always a childhood dream to build that out. Um, Had a ton of fun with it, um, built out a profitable game, and ultimately sold the company to Yahoo in 2013. What are your favorite games? My favorite games. Um, Right now I've been playing, you know, to this day I still play League of Legends, but I grew up playing Smash Brothers, Halo, Age of Empires.
0: How do you balance that with a with a CEO position?
1: It's you know I think it's really important for CEOs to have hobbies to to help keep them sane. Um, so league for me is is a social outlet works really well in quarantine. Um, other than that, I actually still play ultimate frisbee at the Stanford Oval every single Sunday. And so that's, that's kept me sane for the last decade.
0: Oh wow, okay, that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. So so tell me you know a little bit about this this interesting experience you've had. Being, moving from a CEO of a company, of a gaming company, to then being a product manager at Yahoo and Apple, how was how that transition for you?
1: I was actually really grateful to have the full spectrum of experiences. Um, starting your own company, you have to figure out how to do things on your own. That was my first real job, right, outside of internships. And so, you know, we were four engineers straight out of school. I had to basically reinvent the wheel on what product management meant for our company. And I'm somebody who learns by doing, so that was an interesting first start, obviously made a ton of mistakes. But when I arrived at Yahoo, I was really lucky to be part of the APM program, the Associate Product Managers program there. And they gave me training on how a professional does it, right? And what that allowed me to do was pick and choose and say, well. I like the way I did things better on these fronts, but I also really like learning how professionals have approached this problem in this way. And so that gave me the the perspective to to balance out, you know, my personal learnings with what others um, have institutionalized and said, this is how things should be done at large successful companies. And and was it a similar learning experience between
0: Apple and Yahoo or did you find that things were radically different between the two?
1: Uh, Certainly very different. I think that that different companies, not only different companies, but even down to the organization, the manager that you have, you will just find completely different experiences at companies, right? Um, So yeah, between between Yahoo and Apple, I still had um, a diverse set of experiences.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's always interesting for me to to sort of understand these differences and and know that there is no you know white glove that fits every hand. Where you have one playbook as a product management, I, I'm experimenting now uh, in 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 a company that I work for with product management, and I see all these different challenging sources. And there is no one one set rule. But what are some of your key takeaways from these two times? If you were the advice you would give any product manager at any company?
1: Oh, man. So I think in addition to the fact that different companies and organizations are different, it gets even trickier when you talk about product management in particular. Because just by definition, the, the PM job is one that varies completely from, from team to team. And yeah. you need to... to fill in different roles, um, no matter where you go. right? Right. And so I guess if there's one key takeaway, um, I'm a big believer in servant leadership, right? This is, this is a philosophy that, that many articles have been written about, but in particular, when it comes to product management, um, success is defined by being able to enable your team. Um, Making sure that your engineers are unblocked, making sure that your designers uh, are connected with the business objectives of the broader team, right? And so whatever, you know, whatever organization or team you're joining, I think it's important to just dig in and figure out how can I best um, enable and, and support this team and throw away all previous conceptions of like what a PM was at your previous job.
0: Yeah, I think that, that's that's very interesting take on, you know, looking at a PM as a leadership role and understanding that as you transition between teams, which is inevitable, you need to put on these different hats and empathize with the people that you're working with and the product you're working on. And I'm sure that it's also extremely different between, you know, when you're doing something for an, an enterprise team versus a B2C team, uh, which is also fascinating. So let's move on to artificial intelligence, labeling, NLP, data store.
1: Yeah. So um, actually, segueing into that topic, um, the reason that I ended up working on machine learning and AI in the first place is because my manager understood that, you know, I had a lot of experience as a front end PM. Um, I like thinking about design and user experience and all of that, um, but I had no experience on the back end. So he assigned me to replace, you know, uh, Yahoo's. 15-year-old search algorithms with a machine learned model. And my team was able to accomplish that, you know, within a matter of months, and that blew my mind. And so that changed the trajectory of my career. Um, I I was no longer working in games. I became an MLPM for the next seven years, right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was a really meaningful transition. Um, And so... Yeah, I became a convert. This was early on in the AI hype cycle as right. well. Yeah, I came to better understand just how powerful, uh, you know, AI technology could be. Uh, but I also got a peek behind the scenes as to how all of this works. And it turns out, you know, in order to power all these AI algorithms, you need a lot, a lot of uh, training data. You need to feed it a lot of examples so that it can learn and build an understanding of our world and, and expectations of our world, right? And so um, having experienced that and having spent millions of dollars getting labeled data over the years, instead of, you know, recreating these processes um, yet again at another company, I decided it was better for me to just build a startup around this and say, let's solve this for, for the industry once and for all. And so that was the origin of Datasore. A little over a year ago, I started this company with the goal of taking all these best practices all the solutions that i'd seen you know reinventing the wheel over and over again at multiple companies democratize that and make that available to anyone working on uh, on ai
0: right so so data labeling why is it difficult why does it cost millions of dollars
1: yeah give me the broader spectrum about this sure so it's a it's a volume it's a volume thing right it can be very difficult at times it doesn't always have to be but essentially, algorithms have a really, like, humans still have an advantage over these these robotic algorithms in that we come with, you know, this wealth of experience in the real world. We have subjective opinions. So I'll give you one example, right? Think about Yelp reviews. You want to understand whether the reviewer is saying something positive or negative about things. Right. People will employ sarcasm. They'll employ, you know, all kinds of, of, Linguistic tactics to to write their review, and yeah. it's not always straightforward to understand. So you need to feed the the uh, model lots of these examples, so it can begin to understand um, exactly how humans describe, in this case, restaurants.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I always allude to when I when I think of NLP, uh, it's the, and the difference between just understanding the content of what we're saying, but also the intent. And I think of the onion. And if I were to give, you know, a a computer and a regular machine learning algorithm, you know, 10 years, 10 or 15 years ago, a piece of the onion to read, it would probably be able to to understand the content. It would take it seriously. And I imagine then a leader making decisions based on the onion, that would be pretty funny and pretty sad at the same time. Uh, And I think that's, for me, that's the distinction with what NLP is really about, understanding the intent behind what the person was writing.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful example.
0: Great. So, so, okay, labeling volumes costs a lot. How do you actually uh, democratize that and, and help solve that?
1: Right. So I think the other thing to understand is everybody at this point has heard in the mainstream media all these advances in AI, right? Like We're, we're well into the AI hype cycle. But the thing is, um, deployment is not fully out there. Uh, we're still very early in the adoption cycle and so if you think about fortune you know 500 companies we t- we're thinking about traditional uh, industries like agriculture foresting oil right they may have allocated budgets towards uh, deploying AI but're it's far from being ubiquitous so far so I think we are um, because there is still so much adoption left to be, Done in the coming decade. Uh, I wanted DataSor to be well positioned to be the data labeling um, solution of, of choice. Right now, as far as democratizing it, uh, all these companies—you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples of the world—they're building their own internal tooling. Right, but. As somebody who you know, comes from an engineering background as a product manager, I see that purely as an inefficiency. Why is everyone rebuilding very similar tools? If you had a designer today, you wouldn't say, oh, let me go build this you know, tool to help them design better. You just buy Photoshop or Sketch or Figma, right? Similarly, I want people to get to the point where if you have data labelers, you shouldn't be thinking of building your own solution which is the the standard in industry today, you should come to Datasore and say, oh, well, obviously I should just use this pre-existing solution.
0: So now here's my question, and it's, I'm, I'm challenging a little bit because it's I'm, I'm curious when you make the analogy for Photoshop and Figma and all those, you know, there are 20-year-old softwares that have potentially thousands of engineers behind them, yet you need to generate revenue tomorrow to be able to raise your Series A. And then my question is, so how how do you do that? Because if you go to the Googles and Facebooks with you know an MVP, then they'll say, "Ah, our internal tool is while it's not good, it's still give, it's still better and more it's more specific to us. And startups may not have the funds to pay for this. So how do you actually go about bringing this to market until it gets to the level
1: of Photoshop? Yeah um it's a great question and i think that is part of you know every startup's journey is like how yeah. do you you compete against you know sometimes much better resource teams in this case we're fortunate um you know we i've had a peek at at some of the tools um that some of our clients have been building out and the thing is i've got seven wonderful engineers who've been working on at this nonstop for the past year and our solution is you know, arguably the best and most comprehensive one out there from a generic standpoint, right? Like it is already, it has already surpassed what these teams have sometimes spent years building out internally. Yeah. And the reason is this, right? If you're, if you're working at Apple and and you want to, and you've got some good engineers, you don't necessarily prioritize their time to work on internal tooling. You'll have them working on improving iOS, right? Like some of the, the main product lines. And so our competition isn't always the entire organization. We're competing right. against, oh, this engineer had a few st- uh, extra cycles here and there, right?
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, when you boil it down, then let's say a company, a, a huge company puts, you know, even 50 people on this task. They're working at the speed of a corporation. Whereas if you have, you know, 10 people working at the speed of a startup, then that's that's a much Easier comparison that that's in your favor. That makes a lot of sense. So you know, let's take me down take me down the road of data store. You know, five ten years from now, and alongside what is happening to NLP and artificial intelligence, and where are you positioned with that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, five to ten years is a long, long time in in the world of tech, right? That's what you committed so, to, no? It is. It is. <laughs> But I also think about things. This is the product manager in me. I think about things one step at a time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk more about short-term goals for, for the time being. In the next year or two, I want to be that de facto standard for NLP labeling, right? If you have uh, NLP labeling to be done, you should just immediately think of data store and say, well, yeah, we should definitely use that tool. Mm-hmm. So we want right. to make sure we focus on nailing on that use case first and foremost. Beyond that, there are different avenues that we can go down, right? We can um, work, into, work our way into other media verticals as well. So for example, audio has a lot of synergies, and we're seeing with you know in in-house living room assistants like Siri and Alexa, we're seeing a lot of advances in voice technology as well. Yeah. Well, what happens once you've transcribed these, these voice transcripts, right? You'll want to do the same types of labeling that you do with text. You still want to detect that sarcasm. You still want to detect the entities. So there's, that's a natural extension for us. And really, once we have our foot in the door and we have companies coming to us for training um, that training data to, to build their model, we can maybe help them with other elements of building the model as well.
0: Yeah. And I think your experience is, is pretty extraordinary for the circumstance of what you're doing, given that you, you've done, you, you're an engineer by profession, you went on to become, to Founding a company, selling that company, going through that whole phase, product management in two large companies with machine learning background and now doing this, knowing the tools that are internal uh, and having experienced them yourself, so i I mean I, I vouch for this uh, myself. Uh, you have something also that's special about your team that's not very common to Silicon Valley, right? Um, in the way that your team is actually not in Silicon Valley, a lot of them. That's true. Right. So, so tell
1: me about that, so, how is that? Yeah, um, I'm just in a really, I was in a really fortunate spot. When I started this company, um, I was able to start this with five engineers right off the bat. Um, so my team, as you were leading alluding to, uh, they're actually based in Indonesia. And so we have a fully remote team. Um, and even within Indonesia, you know, they're based in three or four different cities. So we are by, by our very nature distributed. Um, I thought that this would be more of an anomaly. Um, I thought this would raise a lot more eyebrows with investors, but you know, having gone through the recent Y Combinator batch, um, having spoken with investors, this is becoming the new norm. Uh, you know, it's it, there's so much demand uh, for for engineers in Silicon Valley that it's becoming very difficult for startups to to get the right engineering talent here. And it's a global economy and a global world, right? And yeah. so we've been operating remotely from day one, um, and it's worked up really well for us so far. Yeah. And I think I
0: think I, I, the real test is time. And I'm sure that as you go through Y Combinator, raise your, your recent round, and you're showing the results of what your remote team has done, I think that's amazing. And I'm guessing then that you're pretty thankful for having this remote team that's very efficient in the times of Corona, right? When a lot of companies are struggling moving remote now by force, you did it by design previously.
1: That's right,
0: 100%. Ivan, three words that describe you best.
1: Oh man, Um, all right. So I was thinking about this from the start. Uh, I think three words describe me, right? Not the company.
0: Describe you. If if I were to ask anybody around you, what is Ivan like? What are the three characteristics that are most important to him? Okay.
1: I think loyalty. Loyalty.
0: Empathy. Nice. And is that from the product management
1: side? The empathy. Uh, I think it's from multiple facets of my life. Um, and then the last one I would choose is is playful. Love it, Ivan.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. This was wonderful. Great. And a pleasure.